Hi, I'm John Rogers. I created the show Leverage and Rogue Transformers, and you're listening to Genretainment. Aloha, everyone. This is Marks and Julie. On today's episode, we're chatting with Crystal Frazier, the developer for the Mutants and Masterminds role-playing game. She has played a variety of roles within the tabletop and video game industries. Yes, indeed. Besides Green Running, she has worked for Paizo Publishing, Palladium Books, Rogue Genius Games, Kobold Press, and more. She is also a comic book writer that's worked for both DC and Marvel. We had a great time chatting with her about mutants and masterminds and role-playing games. We also talked with her about writing for comic books, including tackling the iconic character Wonder Woman. Now, before we get into this episode's interview, I do want to mention again an anthology I had the honor of taking part of recently. My uh, new science fiction comedy short story can be found in the anthology Like Sunshine After Rain. In the show notes, you can find a link to the cover reveal page, which has more information and pre-order links if you're interested. The book is filled with... Uh, all sorts of short stories, poems, and essays. And the proceeds benefit the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, which is a really great cause to support. Yeah, and thanks to Heidi Ruby Miller for editing and organizing the anthology. Yes, thank you. You heard her at the very start of the episode, and she will be on the show very soon. But now, let's get started with our interview with Crystal Frazier. Well, welcome to the show, Crystal. Hi, thank you for having me. We both enjoy playing the occasional tabletop role-playing game. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's great to have someone on that's involved in the design of one of our favorites, Mutants and Masterminds. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Before we get into your work on M&M, let's dig a little bit into your origin story. (laughs) How did you first get involved (laughs) with art and writing? Oh, gosh. Uh, God, I started writing back in high school, uh, doing game design blogs. And... One of the game companies I followed started a a magazine and asked for basically submissions for anyone. They were they were completely opening the doors, and I, I basically just took some of my blogs without editing them, <laughs> submitted them, and a bunch of them got picked up and published, and that's mm-hmm. kind of how I got my foot in the door. That's interesting. Nice. Uh, what what kind of games did you used to play back then? Oh, I cut my teeth on the old Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles role-playing game. Ah, cool. That was my point of entry. And from there, we moved on to Heroes Unlimited and Champions and, oh, some Marvel face rip, uh, old Star Wars D6. Nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So you had a lot of superhero gaming even back then yeah <laughs> yep. i i was never much of a fantasy person back then most of the fantasy i grew up with was uh like the wizard of oz or the oz book series right yep that would make an interesting role-playing game though that would <laughs> so you're you're the line developer for mutants masterminds i think since mm-hmm. 2016 um for someone uh, I, I believe and uh, for oh, someone I, I think it was 2018 is it 2018 2018 okay yeah <laughs> 2018, correct. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell our audience a little bit about like what, what does a line developer do for role-playing games? 
Oh, uh, Light Developer is sort of like a showrunner on a TV show. So I I don't write everything, but I kind of decide what tone we want to set, what books we're going to produce. Uh, I recruit the writers who will be working on it and sort of bring everyone together and review the final text to make sure it's all coherent and has the same voice to it. So yeah, it's sort of like being a director or or a showrunner, just making sure there's one coherent project at the end when you send it out to the publisher or send it out to the printer rather. Yeah, I noticed that Means Masterminds has moved more towards um, like a venture pass or, or venture modules. Um, yeah, I, I had a lot of adventure experience when they brought me on and they specifically brought me on asking me to to introduce adventures for the line. Awesome. I always thought that was something I've been yeah, just kind of missing yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Uh, we, the, we've got a bunch of books in production too, but with the global slowdown from COVID, that has unfortunately kind of been sidelined. Yeah, who knows when that'll come out? Yeah. Well, it's good. Hopefully it'll get better. Uh, I hope so. <laughs> eventually. We did web series writing and, and I'm interested in TV writing. So this idea of it being a showrunner is really cool. How do you, how far out do you plan out some of these, these uh, ventures? Oh, uh, it'll vary from, from adventure to adventure, but usually about six months to a year in, ahead, in advance. Mm -hmm. uh, we tend to order like a big bulk at one time. So we'll get three or four writers working on three or four different adventures all at the same time. And then that gives us a little bit of flexibility. Like if somebody turns in their project early or if somebody needs a couple extra weeks to wrap something up, we're not, we're not left hanging. Right. And you've done... Not too long ago, you had you had like a big adventure path, like a multi-part of oh. Nether War. How how mm -hmm. was that? Bring that together. Oh, that was a ton of fun. Uh, we had started to plan a new adventure path, for lack of a a better word, like a campaign arc. But like everything else, the last year that kind of got sidelined. <laughs> <laughs> it was meant to tie into the Vigilante's Handbook, which was supposed to come out, but that has been pushed back so we're mm -hmm. we're figuring out how to reschedule all of that mm -hmm. i think nether war came across well we've been getting a lot of good feedback from people who've liked playing through it yeah yeah yeah, yeah we started playing it and enjoyed it quite a bit mm -hmm. so well, i'm glad so that was really interesting a unique way of doing that prequel story where you kind of go back a couple years or so and then and kind of have this setup story and then and then fast forward. I thought that was really neat. Was that your idea or one of the other writers or <laughs> nope, that's that's all me. I even wrote the adventure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, I had no idea how it was gonna turn out and I, I didn't want to hang this like big weird albatross around anyone else's neck if it ended up being terrible. So. <laughs> <laughs> Is Seven like one of your characters you really like from Mutants Masterminds? Uh not especially. I think she's got a really interesting story, but I mean, she doesn't stand out as my favorite. Uh, gosh, do I even have a favorite? I, I love the great a favorite child. You can't. Yeah, I know, really do that. <laughs> <laughs> we we played a very long hero high adventure, so a lot of next gen are kind of close to my heart because they were NPCs in that. Ah, okay. That's so cool. like. Bowman was was like the version of Cyclops constantly running after our characters, scolding us for getting into trouble. <laughs> <laughs> of all the different characters you may have created or worked with in Eminem, I mean, what's what's some of some of the ones? Maybe they're not your, your favorite or not. Like you've had the most fun putting in the stories. Uh, 
I like Loma Slife. She's like sort of our version of Lobo. She's a space bounty hunter who is like the last surviving member of an ancient and incredibly wise species of space dragons, except she's like, screw this. Nothing has any meeting. I'm going to get into rock and roll and drugs and hunt people for money. Mm. <laughs> That's funny. That is funny. That would be a very fun character too. Uh, that would be, yeah. Yes. Here's an off the wall question because I just got to ask it because it's <laughs> oh. anytime you do, you're talking about superheroes, you got to. If you suddenly <laughs> could get superpowers, <laughs> which one? M and M style means mastermind style. Real life, what would you want? I mean, I mean, there's all the obvious choices. Like, uh, I'd like super speed so I could get my work done faster. Uh, regeneration so I don't have to worry quite as much about getting old, but. Personally, I like characters that are made of like goo or slime, like the Liquidator from Darkwing yeah. Duck, or uh, was it Glob? No, Gloop from Ben Ten. Oh, okay. One of the aliens he could turn into that was just made of slime. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? Do you think? I feel like what means masterminds. Like I played a lot of different superhero games out there, and um, and even though I'm, I feel a very. Um, nostalgia of the whole face rip of Marvel. <laughs> uh, I do feel like Moons of Masterminds really stands out in the crowd. I mean, it's got th three editions. It's been around for a long time. What is it you think about that superhero game that helps it stand out a little bit in the crowd? I mean, I, part of it is we had a, a really solid foundation. We built it off of the old third edition rule set for Dungeons & Dragons, except we where things were useful, we we kept them, and where it didn't suit, you know, all the genre conventions, we just threw them out. So, like, no hit points, you just, you know, try and bounce back from hits. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and it just sort of evolved from there and has tried to keep up with what people are interested in, how people play the game. Uh, hero points over time have gotten a lot more, a lot more narrative driven so they're things that give the the players a chance to change the narrative there are ways that the gm can reward players for going along with changes they put into the narrative yeah uh, i like that so I, yeah i think the adaptability has helped a lot and i think i think it's a pretty simple system easy to learn how to play maybe a little slower to figure out how to make characters but <laughs> yeah when you get in the um... The various ways you can like pull your powers and stuff, it can get a little bit complicated. But, yeah, it can. But it's fun. <laughs> fun, kind of complicated. Um, fun little competition years ago for like what's the deadliest power you can make on 15 points. And I ended up winning for a power that could strangle everybody on Earth. Oh, nice. Oh. <laughs> and for one, on Earth needs to breathe. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And for those people who, who may not be that familiar with Mutants and Masterminds, you know, it's it, that role-playing game, obviously a superhero role-playing game, as you mentioned, has open gaming license. So people can, like, make books that are compatible with it, correct? Do you have a license? Yep. We have a Powered by Mutants and Masterminds license. So there's a, a really robust third-party community with a lot of incredibly talented game designers working mm -hmm. on Oh, like different genre books, different villain and hero sets, different campaign settings. Mm -hmm. So if you don't get enough from Green Ronin officially, there are tons of options out there. And for Mutants and Masterminds, like, can you give us a little bit of a clue? Like maybe upcoming, you mentioned a Vigilante book. You know, is there anything coming up that you've been hinting at online? 
Oh, uh, we've got an adventure coming up where one of the weird ticks in our, our home setting, Earth Prime, is that we have ice villains the way most comic books have fire villains. Like every city's got a major ice villain and <laughs> like incidental people who get powers just for some reason end up with ice powers. <laughs> so we've got an adventure coming up called A Cold Day in Midtown where all the ice villains team up to take over the city. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Now, you've also written for other gaming systems in the past. What were some of those that people may have heard of? Oh, gosh. Uh, I I think the one everyone knows me from is Pathfinder. Uh, I was with Paizo for about nine years. Uh, but I've also written for, oh, gosh, 5th edition Dungeons and & Dragons and World of Darkness. Gosh, you after you've been in the industry long enough, you forget everything you've worked on. <laughs> yeah. I understand. Yep. <laughs> Comes a blur after a while. Uh, <laughs> it's like when you try to ask an actor who's been on a TV show for 15 years, you're like, remember that one episode? Like, like ah, no, yeah, sure, no, whatever you don't say. Remember anything. <laughs> I'm glad you enjoyed it, but <laughs> glad you enjoyed it. You remember it, but I got no idea. So, for any listeners who might want to, you know, get involved in role playing games as a writer or doing art for tabletop role playing games, you know, how would you suggest to them that they could get started? Oh gosh. Uh... It's kind of a joke in the industry that no two people have the same origin story because there's, it's not like video games where there's kind of a clear path through school of like how you get noticed by studios and recruited. So yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. A lot of it, a lot of stories come down to, you know, you're practicing your writing on your own, developing, you know, adventures for your home group or a campaign setting that you share on your blog, things like that. And you, sort of get involved in communities of of other writers for game systems you like or go to conventions and meet the game designers for things that you like and just sort of build your network up and at some point you'll get noticed or you'll be in the right place at the right time and you'll get a chance to usually write for a third-party publisher or illustrate for a third-party product or things will come together just right and you'll be able to put some writers together yourself for a cool third-party project. And that tends to be the first step to people getting noticed by by bigger labels like Paizo and Watsi and Green Ronin. Mm-hmm. I, I call Green Ronin a big label, but we're like 15 people. <laughs> <laughs> for those people who don't know, where's Green Ronin based out of? Oh, uh, we don't actually have... Like, our headquarters is our owner's garage, but uh, we all work remote. (laughs) Like I said, it's about 15 people. We're scattered over the United States and Canada. About, I guess about a third of us, maybe half of us are in the Seattle, Portland area. Mm -hmm. It's sort of game design central up here. And then, you know, everyone else is just scattered all over. Mm -hmm. I love that, though, about role-playing games that you can... Be working out of a garage and have people all around the world working with you. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. It it's it's definitely something I would recommend most people start up in their in their free time rather than just quitting your day job and trying to make a full time go of it. Right. <laughs> oh yeah. A lot of a lot of game companies are run as like somebody's second job. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now you've also done comic book writing. Um, mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the the, the work you've done in, in comic books? Oh, gosh. Uh, Well, I got my start years ago in doing web comics. Mm -hmm. So I I got all of my bad writing out of the way back before anybody was actually reading my stuff. (laughs) Um, 
but my first big comic book was for the Pathfinder licensed series that Dynamite publishes. Mm -hmm. uh, that was a storyline called Spiral of Bones that kind of looks at, uh, I mean, one of the tropes of fantasy RPGs is people die and then they get resurrected and come right back. Mm -hmm. uh, but this is a comic that looks at like what happens to that person's soul when they die and what do they go through on the other side and what does coming back involve? Oh, that's very cool. Nice. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was even more fun because I got to use the 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 party fighter who is, you know, the least educated on spiritual matters, the least patient with like weird bureaucratic nonsense that that happens after death. Uh -huh. <laughs> so he's he's running around yelling and crying and like demanding people listen to him because, you know, he doesn't know what's going on. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then yeah, this year specifically, I've weirdly gotten picked up by a couple of different publishers. Uh, Oni Comics will be publishing a graphic novel I'm doing in August uh, called Cheer Up, which is cute little queer romance story. Uh, and DC recently showcased me in their Love is a Battlefield anthology. Uh, I wrote a little Wonder Woman story for them. Uh, and uh, with Marvel Comics, I'll be in their upcoming Marvel Voices anthology in June. And then I'll be writing a uh, incredible or immortal Hulk spinoff called Gamma Flight with Al Ewing. Nice. What was it like writing for Wonder Woman? I, I imagine that's, that's a great character to write for. <laughs> it, it was interesting because there's... My personal canon for Wonder Woman is a little different than what's going on now, because I was reading Wonder Woman mostly in the 80s and 90s with, like, George Perez. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the character now is a very different character, so it involved, you know, reading more modern things. And one thing I always had in my head is that Steve Trevor had kind of a country twang to his, to his voice. Uh -huh. Like, he just, he just seemed, I grew up on a farm, I grew up out in the country, he just seemed like the good guys out there in the country that I grew up with. Yeah. So I, I added some, like, countryisms to his speech that my editor was really confused about. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to, like, go back and de-countryfy Steve. Yeah, I don't even know, like, after New 52, like, some of the changes that happened... I think they. I feel like they rebooted against New Fifty Two, maybe. Um, but uh, <laughs> Jeez. so, what's what's one of the biggest differences between Wonder Woman of now compared to Wonder Woman you knew growing up? Oh, gosh, I guess the Wonder Woman now is a lot more willing to resort to violence or jump to violence, mm -hmm. uh, whereas I remember a Wonder Woman who is kind of as much a diplomat as she is a warrior, mm -hmm. and my editor wanted me to add a lot more exposition to the character dialogue instead of leaving space for the artists to, to sort of fill in the action. Ah, okay. Yeah. So, so cool. Diana was a lot chattier than I remember. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's interesting you say that. Cause I feel like that's, it's uh, the wonder woman in the movies, the, of her own movies. And then wonder woman, like in Snyder cut, I feel like that's a difference too. Like she's, a little more prone to violence too. So it's interesting to see mm -hmm. some of that, but I imagine that's great. I can't wait. You know, Immortal Hulk sounds pretty amazing. <laughs> to be yeah. I, I don't know if you've been reading it, but it's Hulk as body horror. <laughs> it's a ton of fun. Uh, I, Al brought me on in 
back around issue 30 as a sensitivity reader to help make sure he got some characters right. Uh And I guess he liked my work enough that he recommended me to his editors and and they asked me to come back and do some writing for them. That's awesome. (laughs) So people listening, that's, I think that's one of the big takeaways, right? Is networking and kind of working your way Mm -hmm. up, making connections and stuff, both for comic books and role playing. Try to, yeah, try to be polite, try to be, Try to be as earnest as you can be. Like, it's okay to be critical if somebody asks you for feedback, but always try and couch that with, like, I think this is what you're going for, but this is what's, you know, stopping it. Or, like, this would be a better way or a more clear way to make your point. Right. Mm-hmm. If somebody just said, hey, you could write any comic book character or any uh, <laughs> characters that you could um, that you could pick, is there like a dream one that you have out there? Oh, oh absolutely. I'd write She-Hulk in a heartbeat. Ah. Uh, she was, she was, she meant a lot to me back when I was a kid. Uh, I, I found the sensational She-Hulk comics right around the time I hit my growth spurt. And I mean, this is, this is audio, so you can't see me, but I'm like six feet tall <laughs> and broad shouldered. I come from Scottish stock. So we're all broad and muscular and, tough and you know when you hit that as like a 13 year old you're like oh god i'm gigantic and hideous and no one will ever love me (laughs) and then there was this comic about this woman who was gigantic and everyone loved her (laughs) (laughs) so it was it was something i needed and found at just the right time yeah well that's a great run Uh, she (laughs) she broke the fourth wall before deadpool did so yeah (laughs) are you excited about the upcoming disney plus series then I'm I am I I don't I want to hear more details about it yeah well they got a great actress to play her at least so (laughs) oh good and she's great in Orphan Black so um I find role-playing game writing to be kind of interesting because you have to balance this kind of fictional aspect this sort of like open-ended you know keeping it open for the players to play in the story and and with the rules and stuff I mean uh, how, how do you try to balance those things so you leave some room in there for the players, but still have a kind of a storyline in there? How, how do I you mean, with, ad- with adventures, at least, a lot of your work is is giving the game master enough information about the world and the villain and their plan that that they can run with it when things go off the rails because. No adventure survives first contact with the players. So you you want to make sure your GM knows who these characters are and what resources they have and and what their final goal is so that when the players try this completely off the wall coming in from left field strategy, you know how your villain will react. Mm-hmm. I'm also curious as a line developer and you're having to plan these books out. So, like, the history of Moons Masterminds world, you know, it's developed over time. I'm curious, like, how you, do you assume that stories end a certain way, you know, for future sequels or future touching on those characters? Or how do you try to, how do you try to balance that to where you kind of have some kind of unified, some kind of idea of what the world looks like? Uh, compared to what the play, like the players could like do all sorts of crazy stuff in their stories. Yeah. <laughs> to be like, oh, Spain. I remember when he blew that up in accident or something. <laughs> um, a lot of it is, thankfully, we we get to paint history in role playing games with very broad strokes. It's mm-hmm. not like a comic book where you outline exactly how the heroes 
fixed this and here's the exact fallout of it. You can just say that, oh, in 2020, Una tried to take over the Earth and she was stopped by uh, an alliance of mystical heroes. You mm -hmm. don't have to get into the details of. And they used an enchanted sombrero they got from an orca at SeaWorld uh, <laughs> or whatever plan. You you can just get into the, the big picture of Una was a threat. She was stopped. You know, her spirit is banished and can't come back. Or Seven was set free from her obligations to the netherworld or whatever your situation is. Whenever you write <laughs> one of those adventures. So for people who don't know, you have you have power levels, uh, kind of like, mm -hmm. like uh, character class levels in D&D &D and such. How do you how do you balance out some of these villains and such with the players? Oh. Because uh, that always seems to be really tricky, since especially since the Muse Masterminds where it's so open, right? <laughs> yeah, it's it's incredibly tricky. I I have some very broad rules for like how to balance encounters where it's uh, an easy encounter, or rather, you want one equal power level villain per hero for a moderate encounter, and for easier. Encounters, you have fewer, and for a tougher encounter, you have more. And then trading out two power levels is about the equivalent of adding another villain. So, like, two PL8 villains are about as big a challenge as a PL10, or one PL12 villain is about as tough as a PL... Or, sorry, one PL12 villain is about as tough as two PL10s. But again, it's so... It's so varied that that really you can give basic guidelines, but I really hope game masters are, you know, taking a look at these encounters and figuring, oh, well, my heroes have super speed, so they're going to mow through these minions in no time, so I'm going to double the number of minions. Or, you know, my heroes, all their powers are psychics, so a fight one-on-one -on -one against one brick guy with no brain for them to... To blast is going to be overwhelming, so I'm going to cut this guy's power level. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, like you said, it's so varied. There's no way to account for every situation. I can, again, kind of paint in broad strokes and hope that GMs can adapt. Uh, I haven't had a lot of complaints with the the power level balance. I hope if people are having trouble with them, they'll say something, send us an email at Let's play at greenrodin.com, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but so far, it's worked all right for my group. I mean, when I run my players through similar adventures, we kind of have to tinker with them a little. But a lot of it is just try to make sure you have enough targets that every player gets to do something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we haven't experienced any issues. Yeah, <laughs> we have. But yeah, I, I, I can only imagine, I just was, you know, I'm just thinking about the game system and everything. And, you know, when I try to set my own adventures, I'm just like, oh my gosh, you know, it's, it seems like. Yeah. And then there's always <laughs> that player who's like, oh, my one little ability can, you know, usurp Shit all this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, no. like all the opponents in this scene are robots and this one character can shut down all electronics within 60 feet. Yes, exactly. Well, so yeah. So congratulations, you have a character that's perfect for this. <laughs>
I'm assuming you play Means of Masterminds for fun, or at least have, or play, play test or something. Is there, <laughs> is there a character, or maybe not, because you know you're you know you're busy, you know, actually creating it. So you assume <laughs> that. But uh, have you ever had a character that you that you played that is like one of your favorites? You know, because we we have oh, favorites too. Definitely. Uh, God, back in first edition, my character was Medea. Not the same one from Freedom City, because I, I started that campaign back before Freedom City came out, mm-hmm. but the same, you know, historical character, and she was a a wizard and kind of an anti-hero, uh, and I miss playing her, but at the same time, I'm not very good at playing magical characters. Oh, as same Julie. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't do magical well at all. Yeah, and I my, tried it once, longest... it, was not, it was not good. <laughs> Uh, my longest running character was a girl named Jell in our Hero High game, who was a living sentient algae created by the Green Man. Oh wow! Oh wow! So she was originally like a shape shifting living bomb that was supposed to go off and kill this industrialist, but the Freedom League stopped that plot, and she was just left left completely adrift. And they ended up shipping her off to the Claremont Academy, and so she's got the standard suite of like stretchy powers and she's insubstantial. So it's very hard to hurt her. Mm. And she was also, she had all the memories of like an it girl, like a lister rich girl from across town. So she was trying to adjust to being one of the freaks now. (laughs) (laughs) That's a really cool character. And then uh, new lady Liberty from third edition freedom city. was one of my characters. Ah, very cool. That. that has to be a lot of fun. You play a character, then you can actually work it in officially in the whole of the game. <laughs> Doesn't happen <laughs> as often as you'd think. Yeah, I was wondering. Yeah, I think sometimes some of those characters you play may not always fit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, uh, Johnny Rocket is Steve's old character from, I want to say, Champions. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I played Champions once or twice a long time ago. We built a lot of characters for Champions, but I don't think we ever had the math skills to play it. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. There's a lot of math involved. That is a problem, yes. <laughs> Eternal math class is not my idea of a good time. <laughs> yeah, that sounds I, like, I like a supervillain, like math teacher. I just put you in an yeah. alternate math universe <laughs> and you have to solve these problems. <laughs> Until you, you can't super villain that just has the power to make you cry. <laughs> <laughs> For comic book writing, you know, is there mm-hmm. a tip that you would give people on writing comic books? Because I know it's 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 like uh, script writing in some ways, but it's right. it's a whole different different beast. Is there, is there uh, a tip you would give with script writing oh, or with, comic, comic book writing, writing? Comic book writing. Yeah, with comic book writing, uh, I mean. You're acting a little bit as the cinematographer. You have to describe what's going on in each scene. Uh, but it also helps to, it really helps to know your artist and know how creative they like to be and figure out, because some artists like a lot of panel descriptions, some artists like just a general description. So it helps to work out with your artist what they need from you rather than just assume you are the the sole authoritative voice on the book. Right. Mm-hmm. Do you only describe – so, for example, in script writing for like a film or TV show, you know, you would be – a lot of times 
you're discouraged from writing too much detail. You're just kind of like hitting highlights <laughs> that are important pr props or something for tone. Is that kind of how you approach your descriptions? Like just certain important items to give a feel? Or is there sometimes, have you ever been like, this This needs to be a grain phone <laughs> in this scene? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, generally you give a lot more detail in a comic script than you do in a television script. Uh -huh. So you will, you'll describe who's there in the scene and you know, what their replacement is, like who's on the couch or are they standing? Is somebody getting something out of the fridge? Uh, and kind of give some idea of how they're interacting and if there are any major details the artist needs to include. So like sometimes you'll even talk about what's going on in their head so the artist gets a better idea of how to do like subtle body language or facial mm -hmm. expressions. So you'll say like, all right, this character is saying, you know, this is just great, but you can tell by their face, they're like, this is the worst thing ever. <laughs> That's great. I never thought about that for yeah. comic books. Um, how the panels are arranged in a comic book, sometimes this can be very creative, you know, and uh, I imagine your mm -hmm. art background helps in that too. And do you actually try to describe like some of the panels or do you leave that open to the artist or how's that work? I do sometimes. I come from a storyboarding background, so I... I've, I'm used to, you know, sort of thinking in terms of panels, at least. So I sometimes think, okay, I think on this page, the layout will work best with like two panels up top and then one wide row and three small reaction panels at the bottom. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. But most of the time I leave that up to the artist because I mean, these are people who've studied this a lot more than me and work in it a lot more recently than I have. So nine times out of 10, I, I sort of leave it up to them to figure out. That's wise. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot to be said for trusting your collaborators. Yes. yes. <laughs> Is there any other upcoming projects, means masterminds, comic book writing, anything else you'd like to uh, let people know about? Uh, well, I, I'd really love to like get people excited about Cheer Up. Uh, if you like young adult romance, I think it's delightful. I've had a bunch of my writer friends gush about it. So I guess it's good. <laughs> but I, I also realize that is really not the, the show's tone necessarily. You're all about action adventure RPGs and not like cutesy cheerleaders falling in love. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, you know, I don't know. Julie might like that. <laughs> I'm it might not be bad. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm, We're about I'm all genres that. here. We welcome all genres. Yeah. <laughs> None of them get superpowers, I'm afraid. But yeah. there may be a sequel, so who knows? Exactly. <laughs> Anything can happen. Yeah. Um, and so where can people find you online and your work online? And we'll make sure to put oh. notes and show notes, too. Well, the easiest place to find me online is over on Twitter. I'm at Amazon Cheek. Uh, that's C-H-I-Q-U-E. And I'm also at thecrystalfraser.wordpress.com, and that's got a, a bibliography and links to some of my work, uh, along with some game design blogs I've written. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Yes, thank you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Hi, this is Chris Fox, author of Right to Market in 5,000 Words Per Hour, and you are listening to Genretainment. Thank you for being on the show, Crystal. We're looking forward to reading Gamma Flight and playing new adventures in Mutants and Masterminds. Now, don't forget to check out the show notes for links that we mentioned in the interview. Before we go, we want to give a shout out to the full band duo McCarty, who created our new theme music for Genretainment. 
You can find links to our YouTube channel in the show notes. Well, that's it for today's Genretainment. Until, Until next, next time. time. Pen monkey.